Hi, I'm David Pepos, writer of Scouts Honor and Spencer and Locke, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Democrats and Republicans, welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That right there is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, it's Johnny's good friend, David Pepos, isn't it? It is, man. He comes back on and he's talking about his new book, Scout's Honor, which Scout's I, had a chance, Honor. I had a chance to read the first uh, the first issue or two of this one. I think I threw the first two yeah. issues of this one. And man, it's, it's a lot of fun, man. It's like- Were you a Boy Scout? I was a Boy Scout for two weeks in third I was grade. a Boy Scout for a month and a half. <laughs> you met longer than me. <laughs> yeah, I, I was a Cub Scout, and I got all the way to Weeblow Scout. And when I was a Weeblow Scout is when I did um, – I got. I, I went to um, county, I think it was, county uh, marble championships. Yeah. I did really well. And then um, – and that I was a Cub Scout for however many years, you know, like four or five years, I guess. Yeah. And that was fun. And then I went to, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to be a Boy Scout. And I went to go to Boy Scout and I met this guy who was an Eagle Scout. And I thought it was so cool, which looking back on it, it's, it's, it's means nothing. But I, <laughs> I did the hike, right? We did our first hike and it was 16 miles into the wilderness and 16 miles out with a oh. 70 pound backpack and everything. And I'm like 13 or 12 years old, I think, or maybe 11, somewhere yeah. around there. And I had my knife that my, grandfather had given my dad and who had given it to me. And that was a big deal to me, right? Because, um, which I'm sad because I don't have this knife anymore, but, uh, my dad gave me this knife and I was the second son. So you don't get a lot of stuff when you're the second son, it all goes to the first son or, you know, when it's, when it's, you know, however you want to dictate the gender roles and all that kind of stuff. This is the 1980s. So it was very still traditional. (laughs) Let's put it that way. (laughs) So it was a big deal, right? Like I felt like, oh my God. And he showed me how to use it and how to properly carve with it and whittle with it and put it away and sharpen it and all that kind of stuff. He showed me how to properly use the knife. And then we're on this camping thing, right? And it's just all the Boy Scouts and the Scout Masters. And one, there's a bunch of hazing going on, which I didn't understand what was happening because I'm like young, you know? And to me, it was scary, you know, because they were taking kids and like other kids were taking kids. And one, uh, Joe, Joe Brewer ends up committing suicide. Like a few years later, they put a log between his legs and carried him out like freaking, um, like at the end of, um, 
what's that movie? The Coen Brothers movie. Right. They, they hog tied him up on a board. No, like they put it between his legs and like carried him out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like you, like when you're cooking a hog. Yeah. Well, they didn't tie him up. They just literally like, like he was standing there and they, they, they put the log, a log between mm-hmm. his legs and like just jacked him up. Oh, geez. Yeah. It, it, you know, and I didn't understand what's going on. Somebody threw my underwear in the river <laughs> and then another kid got tied up to a tree, you know, right. and left out like for hours, you know, and the scoutmasters weren't doing anything. And, you know, when you're 10, you don't, or 10 or 11, you don't understand what's happening. Not you know, and you're fr- and it's freaked out. And the last straw was I'm we're sitting there. I'm by the fire, and I'm t- and I take out my knife, and the scoutmaster took my knife away. Uh, oh, you haven't gotten your 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 woodchuck badge or whatever, the, some card that shows right. that you've gone through knife safety. I freaked out. I was oh, like, no, man. I'm done. I was oh. done because one, I've I, we'd gone camping our whole lives, right. so I knew everything to do. Like right. I'm like I I'm I'm not like I'm not some. Uh, like out wilderness guy that, you know, I'm not that, but I feel like if the end of the world came, I'd be able to figure things out based yeah. on the things that my father has taught me. Right. You, you know? So I'm like, mm, did not like, that was, that was it. That was the first and last one. And then, yeah, that was it for me for, for the scouts. <laughs> See, for me, I think, I think I was actually a Cub Scout cause it was third grade. So I was like eight oh, or yeah, nine. Cub Scout. Right. Yeah. And I joined up and I was super excited and I got all my gear. My parents took me to the little Cub Scout place, a Boy Scout hall, uh, in Bremerton on um, in Nad Park, which is yeah. the, the actual name was actually called Nad Park in AD, yeah. which is hilarious to me. Um, but I went there and got all my stuff. And then I went to two meetings after the second meeting. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. This yeah. isn't fun. Boring. <laughs> and it was boring. It was, it was boring. So I, I quit. But they just cleaned this bankruptcy. Book, this book. Yeah, I know. This book, Scouts Honor. Uh, the plot of the book is basically uh, imagine the world goes to shit and a new quote unquote religion or faction or whatever you want to call it comes up and their Bible or their manual for survival is basically a boy scout manual. That's awesome. That's a great idea. I saw that. I saw the synopsis of it. I was like, Oh, that's, that's a great idea. It's really good. And it stars, it stars a girl who is in the scouts undercover. Well, not undercover. They don't know she's a girl and she does all this math. I mean, it's, it's really well done. And uh, I'm I'm really excited for me to hear this interview and to go check out scouts on her. Cool. Cool. I'm very excited. So let's, uh, now that you've heard our little stories and we know what the synopsis of the book is, let's get into it and listen to David Prepos in his own words. All right, guys, welcome back. Today with me, I'm sitting down and chatting with a repeat guest on the show, David Pipos, who's coming on to talk about his new book, Scout's Honor. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here and excited to catch up. Yeah, yeah, this is great. You know, you should. It, it's kind of cool. I, I don't. I personally don't do a lot of interviews on the show anymore. I, but I only. I, I saw your name come across and you messaged like, no, I'll do him again because I did it last time. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> oh no, thank you, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been it's been a busy twelve months. Which, uh, given all the, the 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 craziness of 2020, that's probably the best possible thing I, I could be. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I'm I'm stoked to to chat with you about a, a new book that I've got in stores uh, called Scouts Honor. Yeah, so I, I had a chance to read the issue you sent over to me, and before I get into my thoughts on it, why don't you go ahead and give everybody the pitch of what it's about? Sure. Scout's Honor is the story of years after a nuclear war, a cult has risen 
written from the ashes, and their Bible is an old Boy Scout manual. So our story follows Kit, who is like an nth generation Ranger Scout of America, really kind of the embodiment of this survivalist cult that has uh, been tasked with taming the irradiated Colorado Badlands. There's just one hiccup. This is a hyper-masculine cult that only allows men to serve. And so Kit has had to conceal her identity as a woman in order to pursue her calling as a ranger scout. Unfortunately, Kit is going to make a pretty chilling discovery dating all the way back to the ranger scout's creation that's going to have her uh, find herself losing her religion as she embarks on a a dangerous quest across the Badlands to uh, discover the truth. I've likened it to Mad Max, you know, beats Mulan, but there's little bits of Hunger Games, The Handmaid's Tale, and even Planet of the Apes thrown in for good measure. Yeah, man, without giving spoilers away, I'm sure we'll talk a little spoilers in the first issue uh, later, a little later on, but not sure. right at the beginning. But I gotta say, the way the reveal was handled with Kit not being a man was handled mm-hmm. so subtly and well. Like if you're not really paying attention, you might miss it. But it's sure. I mean, it's not. It's hard to see, but it's like. It's not like in your face, like shoving at you. It was, it was, it was written really well. So I'm trying to say. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, it, that, that moment in particular was a real kind of uh, high wire act for, for me and artist Luca Casalanguida, because, you know, there's, there, there are a lot of ways that that reveal could be told that would wind up punching down. It would wind up kind of either coming across as titillating or coming across as as punching down on, on people who are wrestling with their own sort of gender-related issues. And so I know we redrew that page a couple of times uh, to make sure that like this wasn't supposed to be sexy. This wasn't supposed to be funny. This was just supposed to be kind of a serious moment because that's really – that's what Scouts Honor is kind of boiled down to to beyond sort of the religious iconography it's it's what happens to people who live in like a very kind of closed off isolated closed-minded conservative town you know for people who you know fit a certain mold you know of of rigid masculinity the the world's their oyster but scouts honor i think we kind of examine what happens to people who don't fit that mold and how do they kind of navigate the world and how do they sort of, you know, hold on to their secrets and, and sort of wrestle with who are they really and how do they live an authentic life? Yeah. And I think did, you did something with this issue that every good first issue of a series does. And that's, you start off with expectations in the first couple of pages. And by the end of the issue, everything has changed. Like the expectations you get from reading the first, like say, say three or four pages, whatever it is, and with the last two pages, it's all shifted. It's all changed. And, and everything you thought about the world that you just created in the first couple of pages has now shifted to a different a different outlook, which is yeah. you know, a great way to keep people intrigued and, and you know, that had that cliffhanger of wanting to keep going. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I mean, so much of this book in a lot of ways, it was inspired by the way I grew up. I, I grew up in a pretty a conservative, both politically and religiously, household in, in, in Missouri is a very conservative Jewish household. And as a result, I didn't really have my own kind of political and spiritual reawakening until I left home. And then I realized that there were a lot of things that I was raised to believe that weren't as set in stone as I had thought. They weren't as rooted in reality as I had been told. And that can be really disorienting, you know, but I think that's that's something that I think we all deal with. I think that's very much a coming of age question, not just figuring out kind of where your spiritual compass lies, but figuring out just kind of, you know, you have to figure out how how does the world actually 
work, not just the way that you were told by your parents or or whatever religious upbringing you've had or your schools, but just kind of figuring out like, oh, okay, now that I'm in the real world, I'm actually meeting people who did not come up from the same place that I did realizing like, oh, you kind of have to recalibrate. And I think that's something that at first can be very disorienting, but I think is something that's ultimately, it's very empowering. I think that's the only way that we can kind of grow and improve and 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 turn a corner as a society. And and so, yeah, I feel like, you know, making, making Kit question everything she thought she knew and believed is, is really going to be a core part of uh, Scout's Honor as a whole. Nice. It sounds like this experience of writing it was uh, it was kind of therapeutic for you a little bit. A bit, you know. It's it's, it's weird because I, you know, the way that the timeline of of making comics goes, it's it's a lot longer than I think a lot of people might expect. Yeah, um, it is. I, I had pitched Scouts Honor. It was in the fall of 2019, and so we were greenlit around Christmas, and then I officially signed my paperwork, my contract. I signed it about two weeks before lockdown. Oh, and so I wrote about 80% of this series in quarantine. And I got to say, writing a post-apocalyptic book in, in the time of COVID, you know, it's certainly, it, it, <laughs> I think everybody's kind of thinking like, how are we going to re- reimagine things and how are we going to sort of reinvent ourselves? And I'll, I won't lie, you know, it was at first a little anxiety inducing. And then I realized like, you just kind of have to barrel through and you have to kind of write through those fears and write through those anxieties. And Scout's Honor in a lot of ways kind of reminded me of my own values as a storyteller. You know, anybody who's read my previous work, books like Spencer and Locke, books like The OZ, even my my, my action crime rom-com going to the chapel. Which is great. Um, I love that one. Thank you. <laughs> they're, they're, they're all kind of rooted in bleak concepts, but I don't consider those stories bleak. I consider them about kind of the redemptive journey out of that. And and I think Scout's Honor really kind of reminded me of that, is that, you know, Kit ultimately believes there is a better world. And ultimately, that's the reason why she wants to be a Ranger Scout. Is she's, she's like, you know, there needs to be people willing to fight for a better world. And she wants to be one of them, you know, no matter what the cost. And that's kind of, that's inspiring for me. I mean, I think Kit is certainly despite growing up in the apocalypse, probably the most well-adjusted character I've ever written. (laughs) And, you know, but seeing her kind of really kind of come into her own and start to take her own independence and figure out, you know, this is how I was raised, but how do these values, what do these values mean for me? And how can I live with them and live with myself? It was, was very autobiographical in, in, in a way, but yeah, I think, I think getting to know her as a character and really kind of getting in her head while on lockdown and seeing, you know, the apocalypse might not be as far away as we thought. Right. Getting to write this character really kind of, it, it left me actually with a renewed sense of hope. And I think nice. by the time that this series ends, hopefully we'll have all kind of turned a corner in some way. How long is the series going to be? Five issues. So five issues. Uh, issue nice. two, issue two just hit store uh, on Wednesday, and uh, issue three is uh, up for pre-orders. I guess by the time this goes live, the pre-order window will have closed. But yeah, so it'll be coming out through May, I believe, and then the trade paperback, if I remember correctly, will probably be out in in August. Nice, nice. So I gotta ask, I gotta ask, yeah. why Boy Scouts? Why choose that as your catalyst for this whole, this whole universe? <laughs> you know, it's like many of my stories, it's less of me choosing it and more of it kind of choosing me. When I initially came up with the, the core kernel of Scout's Honor, I was thinking, I had been watching a show called The Path on Hulu. It's got Aaron Paul in it, and it was very much kind of a, a Scientology allegory and what happens to a guy 
when he decides he wants to leave the cult. Uh, he's become disillusioned with it and what happens to him and what happens to his family and what happens to the guy who the second in command who's really kind of stealth running the cult because their their cult figurehead is on his deathbed and nobody knows and i've been thinking to myself you know and this is how a lot of my pitches start with what's the weirdest thing that and in this case what's the weirdest thing that could be used as a bible and when i thought of the boy scouts that came, that popped up pretty quickly but my younger brothers were Boy Scouts. And I think for me on the outside looking in, you know, when you're inside the Boy Scouts, you know, it's about the camaraderie and it's about hanging out with your with your with your with your boys and learning practical skills. It's all positive stuff. When you're on the outside, you see the outfits and you see the pageantry and you see the bylaws, and, you know, <laughs> you see the rituals. And I mean you don't have to squint too hard for it to look a little like a cult. Right. And when I was thinking, you know, well, what if you made a whole religion based on the Boy Scouts? The gear started turning pretty quickly you know i always find myself gravitating towards stuff that has a lot of concrete imagery whether it's bill watterson's calvin and hobbs and in, in my first book spencer and Locke, mm-hmm. whether it's wedding imagery uh, and going to the chapel uh, the wizard of oz and the oz the boy scouts as an organization has a really rich history and mythology and iconography to them and so that was kind of the real joy of this book in a lot of ways was finding the religion in all of these things I, i'm i'm i don't talk about it a lot in interviews because it doesn't usually there's no reason to bring it up, but you know, I'm I'm a practicing Jew. I was raised Jewish, and I'm still Jewish. Granted, my spiritual path is very different than that of my parents, which is very different than that of their parents. Right. But you know, Judaism as a religion, it's it, it's built on uh, literary analysis and literary critique. You have five different rabbis giving ten different interpretations in the same <laughs> passage, and then we leave all these apocryphal notes in the margins, you know, and, and so it's a religion that is a very wide spectrum of, of practice and interpretation. And so being able to kind of figure out, all right, like, what's the religion in merit badges, for example? Right. And so in our first issue, we actually did back matter explaining 14 different merit badges, which will all be available to the public in some form or fashion, oh, nice. either as as order minimums for uh, certain issues, or I believe they'll they'll have one available for when cons return. You know, some some stuff available for for retailers at retailer summits, things like that. But you know, finding out. You know, the Ranger Scouts have certain standby badges, things like archery or, or wilderness survival, but they've also got a few more like intense badges, like tactical driving and explosives. I saw those. Those were cool. The explosives badge was my favorite out of all of them because <laughs> that's sort of the Ranger Scout creation myth. Yeah. Is that, you know, the world was, was born in an explosion. And so they know that sometimes, you know, that's the way you make change is sort of through these big dramatic explosive moments but at the same time you know the ranger scouts they're obsessive about figuring out how bombs work and figuring out like you know what's the blast wave radius and what's the payload compositions because they know that if you don't respect the bomb you might be the next thing that gets consumed by it right and that was kind of you know that figuring out things like um, the seven scout laws, which is kind of, are kind of the ten commandments that has has been written or has been interpreted as as we should say from the scout prophet uh, Messiah figure, Dr. Jefferson Hancock. You know that was a really fun way to kind of build up this world mm-hmm. and really build up the Ranger Scouts as a religion and as a cult. You know, it, it, for me writing this, it was kind of seeing you know that religion can very much be a double edged sword. Yeah, oh for you sure. Know, for some people, it's that's. That's the thing that, that carries them across the finish line when they have no more fuel in the tank. There's so much positive stuff that has come out of, you know, out of sort of this altruistic religious foundation. 
on the other hand, you know, you don't have to look very far to see all these atrocities that have been done in the name of religion yep. and all these uh, horrible things that have been swept under the rug by religious institutions saying, well, you know, we can't throw out the baby with the bathwater, so we can't have accountability. And, you know, that's that's kind of the, the, the high wire that we're walking with Scout's Honor. And that's that's the thing that Kit really has to figure out is, you know, when she discovers that there's some really sinister stuff at the very heart of the Ranger Scout tradition, she has to kind of figure out, like, well, what does that mean? Like, what can I, what are these values that I've grown up respecting and loving and, and are a part of me? What can I keep? And what do I have to to, to throw out? And the stuff that I do throw out, what can I put in its, and I think that's, that's a, a, I think, a coming of age that a lot of people have, no matter what, uh, you know, no matter how they practice spiritually, but I think figuring out your values and your moral and ethical and spiritual compass, I think that's something that we all have to wrestle with as we sort of come into our own as adults. And and I, I think that has been kind of a fun journey to follow with Kit as a character. Yeah, I mean, you hit, you hit the nail there, really, because like the the seven commandments or whatever you call it, the seven, what'd you call them in the book? Yeah, the, the 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 seven laws of Doctor Jefferson. Laws, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are all very. I mean, you read them and it's like, okay, these all make sense, and that's like that's the that's the the leading part of how people get involved in cult and, and get fanaticism is a yeah. that on the surface everything seems up and up and it seems really good, but in practice is this there's this weird dichotomy behind the scenes you, people just don't see, and it's they become you know cultisms or become fanatics, and we see it in our our in modern days. So. Reading books like this, even though it's about, you know, not necessarily an allegory or, or a straight comparison to what's happening, what's been happening over the last several years here in our current world, yeah. there's a lot of ties back and forth. It's like, yeah, you can see how people, like before, I mean, you never thought that people would, before the whole pandemic, I never thought that people would be as crazy as they are about wearing a mask or <laughs> yeah. all this stuff. Yep. And now it's like, man, people really are just, just follow, follow cults and just blind yeah. follow. And it's crazy. Well. I, I, I feel like – and this I, – I give Aftershock a lot of credit because I think they realized how prescient this book was even before I did. I had sent Aftershock a number of pitches. I've known one of my editors, Mike Mart, since I was in college. Nice. And so I had been – I'd been pitching and pitching and pitching and pitching. And Scout's Honor was the, 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 the idea that they really gravitated to and was – I was – at first, very surprised because it was kind of the least developed idea that I had sent. Right. And now looking back on it, it makes total sense. I mean, you know, looking at the way the world is today, we're kind of we're in a culture of toxic masculinity, and you see kind of the rise of sort of this the the, the evangelical churches, and you see this fetishizing of the military and survival prep, and you know, you you sort of put all that in in a cauldron. And sort of this disdain for critical thinking and sort of saying you should just kind of follow the pack. You know, you put that in a cauldron for 200 years and you irradiate it a little bit. And the Ranger Scouts suddenly don't seem that that <laughs> far-fetched. Right. But yeah, it's just, it, you know, I, yeah, it was, it's been a fun world to kind of explore and, and, and to flesh out. And, and yeah, and, and I think also kind of seeing it as, you know, all of these characters, they believe. That's the thing. They are right. all true believers yeah. in, their, in their own ways. I mean, Kit and her best friend Des, they're the ones in, who are sort of struggling with kind of the doctrine, you know, sort of the on the ground level. Because as I, as I alluded to before, they don't fit the mold. 
there's something about them that runs counter to their culture. And that's a hard place to be in. That's a lonely way to live your life. You know, you, you kind of have this armor up because you have to keep your secrets yeah. because if something slips, you could be ostracized or worse. Whereas people like Scoutmaster Shepard, who I guess is the closest thing to a villain that we have in this book, you know, he he's a diehard true believer. I mean, if you strip away all of the, you know, Boy Scout and post-apocalyptic imagery, this is really the story of, you know, two kids, you know, in a very small conservative uh, town and kind of how they are trying to navigate this kind of fire and brimstone preacher and figuring out like, you know, I want to stay a part of this town. I still believe in the town, even if the town, if they knew everything about me, certainly wouldn't believe in me. And so I think that's, I think, really the human heart of scouts honor beyond kind of the the bigger world building and i think that's the thing that really kind of gives this series its heart yeah i agree i agree yeah it's it it, it's got that the deepness to it there i I like i like the fact that i was reading the first issue like when i first i mentioned this earlier but when i the first few pages it really felt like it was like you were reading a story built in some kid's imagination of how they feel they are when they're a boy scout doing their earning their badges and stuff like that like it's not Mm -hmm. real it's like it's an imaginary story but then it brings it in that it's more real and by the end the end reveals the story you realize that no this isn't some this isn't like a, a fetishization of being a boy yeah. scout and like seeing all these cool things it's this is a reality of a world that's gone mad essentially and mm-hmm. things have gone way out of proportion way out, way out of whack yeah well you know the the way that that, that came to be because when i was uh, initially workshopping scouts honor i there were I, I found like kind of a fork in the road as far as where the story could go because in order to build a cult you have to isolate people you know the more that they're kind of connected with the rest of the world like there there's a grounding effect that winds up happening you know i think there's a little bit of a shared consensus of how the world works and you know you see it with scientology where you know that it's sort of that, that is a, a an isolated group where it's very insular and, you know, you, you sort of, you are, they're trying to inoculate you from the rest of the world. And so when I was writing Scouts Honor, I was like, there's two ways I can do this. I either do sort of a desert island, you know, Lord of the Flies kind of thing. And there's certainly some Lord of the Flies in this book's DNA for, for sure. But, or I go sort of post-apocalyptic. I take it, you know, they've isolated themselves temporally. And I, I thought about something that I read in high school. You know, there's a, there's a, the historian Howard Zinn, who talks about how history is written by the victors. And and I would posit history is written by the survivors. It's kind of like a game of telephone, you know, and it sort of builds up and mythologizes on itself. And you, you don't have to look any further than the, the mythology around Christopher Columbus. You know, yeah. it wasn't until very recently that people started saying, you know, he committed genocide, but he was <laughs> not a, a good guy, you know, and there's still statues of him all over the country. So I, I the thing that I thought was, you know, what happens if you kind of cut this game of telephone? Human beings want continuity. That's just how we're built. Yep. And so if we cut off that game of telephone, what would we what scraps of the old world would we grasp onto for that comfort and that direction and that foundation? And how would that mutate from there? You know, the game of telephone keeps distorting stuff. And that was what was so fun about, you know, being able to tackle the Boy Scouts is that, you know. You take it into the far future, there's all sorts of ways it can mutate. And you don't have to explain that deeply. It's just the world exists as it is, and you are dropped into the middle of it. And yeah, that that was has sort of really kind of given me a lot, a, a wide berth to, to, to work within of saying, okay, you know, what iconography do I like? How do I mutate it? You know, what kind of twist can I put on things like the, the Boy Scout, you know, the Boy Scout pocket knife? 
for example, you know, which has turned into these sort of buster sword switchblades, as they call them. <laughs> it's it's sort of their their that's their sort of one of their capstone moments. That's sort of your 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 passage into full manhood as they give you a switchblade. But the history has been so mutated that you know we see it. You see a pocket knife. These see these giant blades that have sub blades in the middle, right. saying, "Oh well, you know, like that's how the scouts used to do it." And you can hear these conversations going on today. Anytime somebody talks about the founding fathers and what they intended, you know, I mean, it's it is no different. Those than, arguments than are so crazy. Then 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 constitutional literalists. Yeah, and so that like that wound up sort of being a fun way to explore that. Yeah, this world is crazy, but it's got its own internal logic to it. And just, you know, they've been out in the wilderness for so long that, yeah, some of this crazy stuff starts to make sense. Let's talk about the art for a second here. Cause the art yeah. in this book is fantastic. I think it matches the tone of yeah. the story. And I'm a big believer in, in art and writing matching tonally to each other. Like, sure. cause you can, I mean, there's, there's, so many different types of comic book art out there, but not all writing can ma- match any kind of art. And, you know, when you have a matchup like this, I think this book matches really well to the art art to writing. Yeah. Yeah. What was, uh, you know, how, how did you come across getting with Luca and what was that process like? Sure. Well, Scout's Honor was an interesting book in the fact that um, most books that I've pitched, I've had to kind of individually ring lead the creative team. I've had to find the, the line artist and the colorist and the letterer, and I've had to sort of put together everything myself. And then I start going to publishers and saying, do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want it? Aftershock, similar to places like Boom, they want to be more hands-on with the development of it all. And that's that's great. And so my editors, Mike Martz and Christina Harrington, actually brought Luca to, to, to the team. We had, ta- we had discussed a number of artists, and I was so thrilled when they brought up Luca because I had actually reached out to him years ago about another project. And he had been, <laughs> he had been busy working on uh, James Bond over at dynamite luca's got you know he's got that kind of classic italian style you can see it in his line work it's it's sort of it's sort of that lineage of like a joe kubert right uh, kind of style but you can see little influences even of like of of people like jock or people like frank miller you can see that in in luca's work some of the harsh Um, darks he does or shadowing yeah yeah yeah, and and so Luca, he's you know he's a he's a really tremendous artist. I, I think Mike was the one that brought up Luca, and I think we were actually discussing it just as everything was starting to shut down all around the country. <laughs> and I really liked the the kind of scratchiness, the grittiness that that Luca brings to the to his artwork. It works really well for a book like Scout's Honor, like you said. He and he really did a lot of the heavy lifting as far as the visualization of this book was concerned, especially you know beats like uh, the Eagle's Nest, which is kind of the 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 central hub of the ranger scout compound that's a really cool kind of ominous looking tower that we uh, we show off in issue two and we we get to explore it a little bit more in 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 issue three and uh, issue five i believe but uh, yeah you know the thing i like about luca is even though this is a fairly action-packed book he really excels most in the quiet moments Um, and i think those are the the most important moments of this book those are the ones that really make you feel for characters like kit and, and and des you know there's a lot of just thinking and these these sort of deliberating and thinking, you know, is this thing that I think I saw, did I really see it? Like, <laughs> do I want to believe that I saw this? And sort of, you know, what do I do? You know, my secret's in danger it, it, because I, I, I stumbled upon this other bigger, more terrifying secret. And so, yeah, it's it's very, yeah, the, it, 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 Luca has added so much to, to kind of the way that Scout's Honor has, has been developed. And I like just the way that he, 
he makes our characters really just engaging. He makes them so sympathetic and 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 he really makes it kind of feel for them in a big way. I also want to give a shout out to our colorist, Matt Miller. I was just um, I was just gonna ask you about him about Matt and the colors. Matt is great. Terrific. So Christina Harrington is our lead editor on the book. She's the one who really has been championing it since even the initial pitch stage. And I distinctly remember Christina saying, like, hey, how would you feel about Matt Miller being on this book? And I remember <laughs> responding, oh, are we allowed to do that? You know, Matt is a a, a, a terrific colorist. Um, you might know him from his work on Daredevil with Ron Garney. You know, he is just just an a-list colorist. And yeah, I am so thrilled uh, to have him on it. You know, Mike Mike Martz, our, our, my other editor on the book, he was the one who really instilled in me when I was in college. He was he was the Batman editor at DC Comics, and I was I was one of his interns, and he really instilled in me that art, good art, makes or breaks a comic, but good colors make or break your art. And so having you know a, a, a strong colorist is is arguably I think just as important for me as having a good line artist is finding the a colorist that can complement them. And so Matt just, you know, he he nails like the, the dusty post-apocalyptic side of Scott's honor so well, but then he's able to kind of throw in these like neon, you know, magentas or teals just to remind you like this is still like an irradiated wasteland, yeah. you know. Oh, it's definitely it's an unrecognizable, sometimes alien kind of world. And so, yeah, I just I, I could I can't say enough good things about Luca and and Matt putting them together. It was a real stroke of genius on 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 Christina and Mike's parts. You know, obviously they've been doing this for a long time, so they know <laughs> what they're doing. But uh, and then you know, kind of rounding out the team is Carlos Manguel, our letter. And I really like you know. Carlos adds such a, a a fun degree of texture to this book. You know, just by seeing his font choices just in the, in the dialogue. Like there's, there's that sort of grittiness to it that you're like, Oh, like, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore. Right. Um, like this is, this is a harsh world and there are harsh people in it. And even just the way that they talk has a degree of harshness to it. And so, you know, having, having that team together, I mean, I'm arguably the least experienced out of everybody <laughs> here. And that really kind of inspires me to keep bringing my a game is that I'm like, all right, like I know that like, Luca and Matt and Carlos, like they're busy guys and they're, they're, they, they have a lot of talent. And so I want to make sure that I give them something good to work on. And yeah, so far, you know, I, I, uh, I I'm totally fine kind of being, you know, like, like the, 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 the backup, you know, here and, and, and kind of the, 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 the least known member of the team. But I, I feel, I feel really fortunate. Uh, that to have to have editors kind of match make a project this well, it really takes a lot of the the the, the pressure of making this book off of my shoulders. Yeah, I was say it's got to feel good for Aftershock to have such faith in this story. They 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 paired you up with you know with Luca, Matt, and Carlos, and people who have you know have a track record of doing good stuff for a, a long time. And you, you know, as you said, you know the least experience is you coming in. Not that I mean, I you, you're an amazing writer. I love your stuff, but coming yeah. in and then pairing you up with people who have been working on you know much bigger projects than something like this. It's got to feel good. They had that faith behind you. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, 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 it was good. The fact, I mean, you know, we were really lucky, you know, we were the first new book that Aftershock put out in 2020 or 2021, I should say, you know, the, we, we kind of got to lead the new year and yeah, I, you know, I, I've wanted to work with Aftershock for a really long time. Like yeah. I said, I 
I interned under Mike Martz over a decade ago when I was an intern at DC Comics. And Mike was the one who kind of really made me realize that my internship at DC was not the end of my journey as in, in comics. It was the first step. And that there was a very there was a much wider world than just the big two. The fact that there were kind of creator there was creator owned publishers and, and creator owned stories outside of the superhero mold. And so I've been I've been bugging poor Mike since my first book, Spencer and Locke, came out. And so I, I was talking a lot with him. I was talking a lot with the president of the company, Lee Kramer, who uh, lives in Los Angeles as, as well as I do. Steve Rotterdam, their SVP of uh, publicity and marketing, who I also knew from my time at DC. <laughs> and so, you know, it took it took a little while to get there. You know, this was not this was not the first time I pitched Aftershock by a wide margin. Right, um, right. <laughs> I think I, 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 every single book that I put out since the first Spencer and Locke I've pitched to Aftershock, you know, and even, even like I said, Scout's Honor, I had sent Aftershock a number of log lines. I think I had sent them a, a dozen ideas saying, these are things that are on my to-do list. Do any of them kind of catch your eye? And Scout's Honor was the first time that they bit. And so, you know, I, I always try to tell people like, that's, them's the breaks with comics, you know, rejection is, you, you better just get used to it because every rejection is either a chance for you to recalibrate or it's just a chance for you to know, like, okay, this wasn't the right fit. You know, you would much rather a publisher reject you up front than it be a bad fit once you've been accepted. Like, that's right. it's, it's much easier to, to, to start over from scratch. So, yeah, but working with Aftershock, you know, it, it's been wonderful. I, I, I keep saying, you know, it's it was certainly a learning curve for me because I'm so used to being my own editor. Right. Every other book that I've done in the past, I've had to not just write it, but finance it and kind of circle all the cats that are my creative teams <laughs> and do a lot of art direction, figure out the deadlines, you know, in the case of my Kickstarter for the OZ, even coordinating the printing and distribution. And so having actual editors to work with, that was a new and different experience because I wasn't the central conduit anymore. And so I, you know, I, it made me, I think a more nimble writer. And I think it made me a more deliberate writer, you know, figuring out how to include more reference in my scripts and figure out how to be more specific in my direction, figuring out I have to measure twice so I can only cut once because, you know, the 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 deadline of this book is also one of the fastest things that I've ever put together. You know, Luca was drawing issues, I think, every six weeks. Oh dang. Something along those lines. I mean, really fast. Faster than any artist I've worked with before. And so, you know, but also kind of realizing that like, you know, because I'm working with a publisher who sort of has, you know, both a financial and creative investment in the book, it's kind of figuring out, all right, like what does my publisher need? What do what what do they want and need? And what do I want and need as a storyteller? And kind of figuring out, well, where's that overlap? And you know, it's 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 challenging because it's not always, it's not something that you usually talk through. It's more of a I know it when I see it mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so I've said that you know the process of making Scouts Honor it has just as much in common with with work for hire as it does create around. And I think that's a really good thing because I say this in every interview, but I, I want to be a 30-year man. I want to be uh, spending a long time in, in comics as my career and being able to work with editors and figuring out how to be nimble with my creative team and to figure out how to sometimes how to, how to roll with, with punches a little bit. Yeah. These are all things you have to learn if you ever want to work at the kind of level that I want to work. 
And uh, and so I think working with Nina and Mike, I, I couldn't be luckier to have these uh, have them as my my first two editors. You know, Christina especially has been such a champion of this book from start to finish. You know, I I, I couldn't be luckier and, and more grateful. And you know, we're we're ho- hopefully this is the first of many projects with them. You know, it's it's just it's been a great working partnership, and I'm I'm really I'm thankful for the ways that they've really leveled up this book in a big way. Nice, nice. So. This is a five issue series, and you've got issues two, two, two sorry, out. Three will probably be close to being out when this releases due to time mm-hmm. when, uh, of this. Yeah. And just go out and tell Mangus, what's next? What's next for you after this? Boy, you know, I've I've got a couple of things that I'm working on right now. We'll have the uh, second Kickstarter of my book, The OZ, coming soon. As soon as we have kind of a critical mass of pages, we'll be launching a Kickstarter for that. Artist Ruben Rojas is hard at work on the book. We had a little bit of a COVID-related delay, so that's why the the, the Kickstarter is is still kind of TBD on 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 the schedule. I know all about that, um, man. My, my Kickstarter's the, the, the same the book way. Is written, <laughs> I'm sorry. So I know all about that, but, but due to COVID yeah. and everything, my my book's delayed and not out yet, not fully out yet, anyways. Yeah, you know, but he's 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 back in the saddle. He's hard at work. The pages are looking amazing from what he's turned in so far. And and, and as I've said in, in other interviews, the whole series is already written. So it's just I, I I'm I'm lucky that I get to see pages coming in. Nice. We're working on artwork for uh, my book Grand Theft Astro, which is TBD when it comes out. But uh, the artwork is looking really cool on that so far. I'm still uh, writing Spencer and Lock Volume Three. That is still coming. Uh, artist George Santiago Jr. and colorist Jason Smith are, are, are have already committed to coming back for our third and final volume nice. and then beyond that this should still be up on on kickstarter by the time this comes out i'm also i have a full-length story with george santiago jr in the big hype anthology which will be on kickstarter it's called roxy rewind that's sort of my love letter to classic spider-man and time travel adventures like back to the future so i'm really excited for all those and then i have a few other projects that are sort of in the i'm working on my first horror book Ooh. which is we'll slowly be kind of getting pages together uh, as this interview goes up as well as uh, by return to comedy after going to the chapel i'm working on a comedy book right now that it's very 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 early in the process you know just sort of figuring out how the plot and characters are going to work in the midst of my high concept but i'm really thrilled with this book and i feel like it's uh, it's it fits certainly within uh the the realm of a spencer and Locke and the oz but tonally very very different so i'm really excited for for how this book is turning out. I've been working hard on it for the last couple of weeks and can't wait for people to eventually get to see it. Nice, nice, man. So I got to ask you, you have all these different worlds you've created, like Scout's Honor and Spencer Unlock and OZ and Crone's Chapel. You ever going to do like a a fun little combination story where you just combine the characters for fun? <laughs> uh, I wish. You know, it's it, 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 in my head. Maybe you know. I, I I'll I'll give you the depressing answer. The depressing <laughs> real world answer is that for multimedia purposes, you can't do that. Right. And the reason why is you know if you know like right now we're we're still working on the adaptation of Spencer and Locke, which we're still working on it. Everything's been kind of a little up in the air with COVID, but we're 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 sort of back on the grind. Versus something like going to the chapel, which might get another another home, and if you start cross pollinating them, yeah. then then there's some there's an argument for somebody to make that oh well if I wanted to do a Spencer and Locke TV show and you teamed up with the Bad Elvis Gang, then we're <laughs> going to use the Bad Elvis Gang in this TV show, and then somebody might say well I wanted to do a going into the Chapel TV show I don't want to do the Bad Elvis Gang if this guy's had the Bad Elvis Gang right right so but in my head I think about this stuff all the time you know <laughs> you know figuring out what would happen if if Locke got knocked out and woke up in the OZ you know and and you know 
how how Dorothy would absolutely kick his ass. You know, I think about that stuff constantly. But yes, the 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 only way, the only place that the, that these 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 characters will have a shared universe is on your bookshelf. Right. So if you want to, to to buy my books, you can visit my website davidpepos.com. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> or plug. you can buy uh, everything but the OZ uh, is available at your local comic shop on Amazon through Diamond. So, but yes, I I, I think about it constantly, and I will say. I have had at least one story come out of, oh, if I did like a shared universe, what would I do? And then realized, oh, I don't need a shared universe to tell that story. You know, I, I will say there was a there was a discarded Spencer and Locke villain that I wound up just using in another short later nice. that I think will hopefully be announced in the next month or two. Nice. Nice. So my last question for you is a bit of a fun one, kind of off topic here, but you're a sure. writer. And uh, you know all stuff. Is there one character or series or property that's not yours you would love to write? Oh boy, there's a lot. You know, I mean, Shazam is 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 you know I I, I love the character of Billy Batson. I think he's he's he. It's criminal that he's not a a, a top five selling book at DC month in yeah. month out. And that is a series that I could write for years and years and years and not and not run out of ideas exiles over at marvel i think would be a really cool fit for me being able to kind of take like the 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 off-brand versions of all the marvel characters and kind of slamming them together that sounds super fun i'd love to tackle the justice league or the avengers someday i mean granted that's me sort of speaking very 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 far into the future but i feel like there's something you could do what jonathan hickman did for house of x you could do that for either of those properties and I've, yeah. I've been thinking about both of those books since i was about 12 years old but i think my white whale honestly is captain planet really <laughs> uh, i would love to write a captain planet book and i tell every publisher that i talk with that i'm like if you're looking for another license and you get into talks with captain planet i'll be really upset if you don't talk to me i've got <laughs> i've got a, a pitch already ready it's it is a concept that is so long overdue a 21st century reboot it does not take much to make like it was so far ahead of its time that it's still super relevant today and all it takes is like a very i think minor um stylistic redesign yeah basically if you gave captain captain planet pants 80 percent <laughs> of your job is done and so i love the, the character and that is my white whale i'll say it in any interview is if somebody gave me the keys to captain planet i'd probably never have to write a superhero book again you know i i, I watched that show every day as a kid Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'd love to see him to bring it back and make it make it fun. And you're right, putting pants on him would change most of his outfit problems. Yeah, <laughs> it, you know, it, it'd be like the first Avengers movie meets Avatar: The Last Airbender with like yeah. a globe trotting environmentalist spin. It, it 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 that would be my J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Nice. Um, that would be sort of my just my 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 polishing for a new generation. And uh, yeah, I would I would love to write Captain Planet. Would you give so, him a haircut? Yeah, yeah, I don't think you can get away with the mullet. Uh, no mullet and pants, and that's like most of your problems solved. Right. But I, honestly, the Planeteers are so interesting as characters, and I feel like their power sets are so – they have not been particularly defined. Yeah. That I think there's a lot of really, really, really cool stuff you could do with it as a oh, property. And, for and, sure. And it would be just an adventure story that, with a point. Yeah, um, and so yeah, I would I would love to 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 put my stamp on on Captain Planet, and if there's ever any publishers listening to this, if you it, you know if you need a new franchise, I give your boy a call. Yeah, so yeah, you heard it here, not first, probably not probably not first, but here today, and uh, Captain Planet, I, I yeah. I'd read that, so for sure. Yeah. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on, spending time today, and talking about your new book and everything else. And uh, like I said, I read the first issue, I really enjoyed it. I look forward to, to reading the whole thing and seeing where it goes. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. 
That's right. We are back. Back in the saddle again. Well, <laughs> I hope you guys really, really enjoyed that as much as we did making it for you. And if you like what you heard and you want to hear more, you got to go check out SpoilerVerse.com. Because at SpoilerVerse.com, we have a plethora. Plethora is such a, it's such a snobbish word. <laughs> I like it, though. <laughs> It's, it's a good word. <laughs> we have an obscene amount of oh, interviews obscene. with amazing directors and artists of all walks of life and editors and writers. And, oh, my God, are you a lover of comic books like we are? And then there's so many. so many amazing people from the comic book world over at SpoilerVerse.com. And I highly implore you to go there and check it out. Yeah, and while you're there, you can check out all the other podcasts on our network, like Bridget Lee Geekdoms and Funny Book Forensics and Haphazard Adventures and Nerds in the Crypt and so many more. Misery Point Radio. episodes all the time. Misery Point Radio has got a ton of great stuff out there. Go check all of them out. And check out all of the reviews and previews and articles we have going up every single day for you. Every day on Swillivers.com for you to check out, to read, and to love, and to like, and to comment. We have a store link. You want to help support the site? You can do it two ways. One, go to our Patreon, which is just patreon.com slash country, or go to our store link in the middle of the site there and get a t-shirt, a face mask, a hoodie, something. Look fly as hell and help support the site when you do that because we get a dollar or two. And, you know, maybe you want to talk to us. If you do, you can do it you know, obviously on all the socials, but if you go to scpod.us slash discord, you can join our public discord server and come chat with us all day long. I couldn't say it better myself, dude. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You just mouthed out a ton of information at once. And really, <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy what you're hearing because we're, we're working our butts off to bring it to you. We are. We are. I guess there's only one left thing. One left thing? Yeah. I'm going to go with it. There's only one left thing left to do. What's that? In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. As Cthulhu compels you to do. Open the mind. And... Even more.